it's now more important than ever for us to make sure that the health and well-being, both mental and physical, of our peers and colleagues and teams is front of mind because it's no longer acceptable for us to take the mantra of I'll sleep when I'm dead or leave your stuff at home or, you know, anything like that because everyone's mental health has taken a huge hit this year, more so than ever. And it was already a real pandemic in our own industry. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Major upheavals can be traumatic, but soon enough, human instinct kicks in. We scope the new landscape, adapt and find new paths with the benefit of what we'd learned. For many, the pandemic, with all the horror and the heartbreak, it's been an opportunity to change direction, discover something new about ourselves and, surprisingly, live a better existence. Kerry Kidby-Salem is the sommelier at Alba Bar and Delhi in Brisbane. Kerry, how are you? Fantastic, thank you. How about yourself? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for joining us. You've had uh, a hell of a, a year with all sorts of things going on, but um, sort of when the lockdown happened, you were made redundant. Can you tell us about that time? Yeah, absolutely. I was the bar manager and the sommelier at Arc Dining, which had just received a whole lot of accolades and fantastic press for our head chef, Alana Sapwell, and our whole product, I guess, down at Howard Smith Wharves. And when the pandemic was starting to become something in the background, in the news, I had already kind of started putting out the feelers for what might be my next project, but I was so happy at ARC, I wasn't in a hurry to move. Um, in some of my conversations, I'd ask people, how do you see this background noise affecting business? And they said, oh, not really. If we've noticed anything, there's maybe, you know, a maximum 1% downturn in tourism. But I thought, okay, no worries. This isn't anything to worry about. So I continued on in my work with Arc, and we were working on new cocktail list and Alana and I were chatting about new menus and things like that. And then all of a sudden things started to get pretty grim and it was maybe the third week of March. We went from a few really busy weeks to suddenly 50% occupancy and then wow. suddenly people were not at work and we didn't know why. And then we got called into the office and let go um, and that was Alana and myself on the same day. So we found out that the restaurant wasn't going to be continuing and I don't want to speak for her but for me it was definitely a shock but there was also a vibe where very quickly we'd realise that something was going on um, and for me it was kind of like being broken up with without notice. It was the rug pulled out from under me and I thought oh my gosh what am I going to do but I already had so much on my plate that I kind of took the angle of well maybe this is just an opportunity for me to focus on everything else outside of work and we'd basically been go 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 since the restaurant opened so it was a chance to have a bit of a break uh reset a little and I finished a few projects that were on my plate but 
the first instinct for us was, oh my God, like it was just shock. And I remember we, myself and a lot of the kitchen team ended up having drinks at Little Valley, which unfortunately was another venue that didn't reopen. And we were all sitting around shell-shocked, drinking wine, just thinking, like, where did this come from? Like, absolutely just shocked, like, all of a sudden just packed up with no backup plan or or communication as to what might be going forward um, from from the leadership team who were also, you know, scrambling to figure out what on earth to do. So, (laughs) you know. Well, I think Arc Dining was a real sign for the whole industry. It had had the most extraordinary first year of business with many accolades and was a real star in the sort of new wave of of dining in in Brisbane. And I think that when Arc sort of closed so quickly, it sent shockwaves across the industry of sort of what everyone may be in for. Definitely. And I don't think any of us realised that that was the effect it was going to have at the time. For us, we were kind of bearing the full brunt of that shockwave, you know, um, at point blank range. So I'd actually not been drinking because I decided that there was so much on my plate, I it couldn't drink as well. And um, I realised that that's already quite a radical position to take in the industry. But as soon as this hit, I thought, gee, I've been hoarding my tips for a while. Maybe I should just go and spend this at my friend's venues and just try and put it back into the cycle of, you know, energy spend and things like that and you know we had a bit of a few days of everyone just wide-eyed and uncertain and you know having a drink and having a hug when you're allowed to and just having day after day of new restrictions and new information and it was really scary it was not real life it was very surreal you mentioned that that sort of forced um, redundancy and how quick it was, but did allow you to then um, focus on some projects that you could give some energy to. What, what were those projects? Absolutely. I tend to stack my plate up pretty high. Um, in this case, I was finishing the last semester of my psychology degree and I had a couple of research subjects from my nutritional medicine degree that I'd been tucking away and chipping away at over some time so for me it was a matter of okay this is now a time that I can really dedicate to finishing my studies and before it had been a well I am going to be doing this in every single spare moment I have outside of managing the bath and instead was able to dedicate as much energy as I would have to work and at the same time give myself some space to breathe and some extra time to read and explore areas that I didn't have time to before and one of those things was craft beer which I really love Um, another of those was you know my own physical well-being uh, in terms of getting into a healthier routine around nutrition and physical wellness which I think having a degree in it now is always something that you kind of know in your head but having the ability to put that into practice every day is something that does take a little bit of time Um, so being able to focus on those things around what I'd already committed to was relieving to say the least. 
having been part of ARC Dining and the success that it had had during that time, how did you feel about your role in the hospitality sector given what was going on and the fact that you had these other avenues as well of study and um, what were you feeling at that time? I felt heartbroken because we had pushed so hard to, you know, bring this fantastic project to life and it had been something really amazing to be a part of. I certainly wasn't the bar manager when ARC opened, but having been the bar manager by the time ARC closed, I was still part of the opening team. I felt very invested and for it to suddenly not be there anymore, as I said, you know, it really did feel like a breakup and I spent a week kind of thinking what could we have done differently? What could we have done to save it? Was there something going on behind the scenes that we could have been aware of? And the thing is with any situation like this, the what ifs don't really help. It's this is what happened and this is a situation no one was expecting and could have really planned for. And it was just gutting. And there were so many months of really hard work and really incredibly passionate people who had come from all over Australia back to Brisbane to work in this venue. And for me, it was where to from here? We're already really at this top level of restaurants in Queensland. And I didn't want to have to leave Queensland to find the next step. So in terms of those options, I'm sure there are a lot of people who are thinking, well, I've already worked at this peak restaurant, this kind of marquee brand of a restaurant. What do I do next? Well, you are, you are at Alba Bar now. How, how, how did that eventuate? When things started to reopen to the point where we could book 10 people in a venue or 20 people in the venue, there was a few restaurants and bars who were reaching out to people who had experience running a floor as well as being in the bar because they really had to pivot their offering to table service and not every bar was kind of set up for that. So I was fortunate to have been recognised as someone who can do a bit of everything in a venue quite well. So I had a couple of venues reach out and just ask if I was available to help while they figured all of this new service style out and my friend Jamie owns Alba and one of my best friends Dave works there as well he's looking after all the operational things in the venue and asked if I could come and help out for a weekend just helping with dishes and running food and things because they suddenly needed extra hands now that they had a high capacity and weren't just doing deliveries so I jumped in to help and it really felt very comfortable. And I always kind of thought Albert is a venue that is so high quality but so welcoming and so much of a, a venue where hospitality crew go for their knockoffs and, um, you know, if you finish early enough or knock-ons as it were, but also to somewhere where you can kind of go and have a chat and there's other people in the industry there and I kind of expected it to be a, a place I go for fun, not a place I go for work. So I pigeonholed it for myself in that way. So when I started doing a few more rockstar shifts there, um, the conversation kind of did come up. You know, what are you? What are your plans? What are you doing? Um, I had been helping out at a couple of different venues and had intended to join a different restaurant group, 
and it just felt right being at Alba at the time. I think I needed something a little comforting because of everything that had happened in the previous couple of months and it was really nice to work with such a high-level team. The head chef, Sav, had come from Stokehouse, another casualty, so we're all a little bit in it together. What's it, what's it like in Brisbane at the moment? We've seen Melbourne just starting to open up again, but it's been open for quite a while up there. Is, is it relatively back to normal or is it still, uh, do you still feel the pressures of the restrictions? You know what? I think for us at the moment, I have been at Alba now for four and a half months and that was, I mean, mid-June that I started. So really things have been getting back to normal since the middle of the year up here. And for us, I think there's a little bit of survivor's guilt because we have really seen how our friends and peers in Melbourne and Sydney have suffered. And we've run fundraisers for Melbourne and sent funds down to bars that weren't able to open yet and things like that. So we've kind of felt like we have been in recovery mode for a very long time and the restrictions haven't really been affecting us so much as the influx of tourism from out of state and internationally is just not there. So we're suffering financially without there being too much of an impact on the actual style of service that we're providing. People are still signing in via QR code and whatnot when they arrive at venues. We're doing all of the right things for contact tracing and hygiene and cleanliness and social distancing and everything that we need to. But as far as small venues are concerned, we're not feeling as much of the restrictions as a lot of others. I think larger venues are definitely more impacted uh, in terms of spacing and groups and things like that. Um, For us, the major thing was having people not being able to stand that once that restriction was lifted, things really were a lot more back to normal for us. But I actually found in the first few weeks, once we were able to have almost our full capacity, we had some record weeks in the venue. I think there was a couple of weeks where we were actually the busiest that we've been all year, and that's including before any shutdown happened at all. Wow. You're a smellier at the moment, and as you sort of discussed, you do have uh, many talents. But what does it take to be a great sommelier? For me, I don't know if I know the answer to that yet. I don't feel like I'm in a position to say that I am. I'm still learning. I'm very much <laughs> green. Um, for me, I think it's, pardon the pun, but kind of the thirst for it, it's something that just requires ongoing education and learning and dedication and tasting and having kind of wine in your head all the time. Um, I've just received a delivery before the podcast started of like even more books to read about wine because there's always something to learn. And I think one thing that I've really decided for myself that will make me the best sommelier that I can be is that continual refocus to what the customer is going to enjoy because I find sometimes it's easy to fall into the what do I want to share with them kind of mindset and forgetting that our job in hospitality is to provide the best experience for the customer. So I can have all of the cool, funky, trendy wines I want, but if a customer comes in and asks for a Marlboro Sauvignon Blanc, then I kind of need to find something that's going to match their tastes the best because that's, you know, 
uh, a really easy trap to fall into to say, oh, well, we don't do that here. Um, and for me, the best part of it is the storytelling. So if you can tell a really cool story and make sure that the customer has a really great experience, then that's what it takes to me. Australian restaurants have been down an extraordinary path in the last decade and the new wave of modern Australian dining is something quite special and ARC was really capturing that. But our wines are pretty amazing too. What do you love about Australian wines and the new wave happening there? I'm obsessed with Australian wine. I really am. Um, It really excites me and I think it's the reason that I decided to come down this path in the first place because we have really taken on some of the challenges like climate change and difficult land and droughts um, and even our distance from everywhere else in the world in our stride and made these incredible products using different methods and innovative techniques and kind of made just delicious juice without the pretense, without the, you know, I don't want to say snobbery, but it it kind of can be. And more and more exciting wines are coming out. I've been joking to my colleagues recently that there's just, you know, every person and their dog are making a field blend this year. But the thing is that they're all incredible. Like you can't just turn around and not see incredible wine coming at you from every angle. Like even here in Queensland, which is not really a great winemaking climate, there are some really incredible small producers making absolutely high quality wines in not just the classic styles, but in the contemporary styles as well. So I think the most exciting thing for me is just the passion that people have for making wines that are true to land and true to varietal. Uh, My absolute favourite thing at the moment is all of the cool, funky Mediterranean grapes that are being used in uh, South Australia because they've really kind of said, okay, well, we are going to have to deal with these harsh climates that are going to get harsher in the next couple of decades let's figure out how we can start making them now so that we can really refine it during that time and it's things like the Portuguese and Spanish grapes that are coming through and they're making just these incredibly juicy fun expressions of these very very classic old old grapes Um, so you know I mean I could just talk for days about it but I think we need to open something (laughs) I could listen to days about it (laughs) you're a nutritionist you've um, finished a psychology degree, you're a sommelier. How, how do all of those things relate to your job in hospitality? And I'm particularly interested interested in the nutritionist side of things because wine is and food are so important together. Absolutely. And I think that um, I'm always going to feel a little bit like the naughty kid when I'm in the nutrition world because <laughs> but I remember doing I rem- remember doing clinic uh, clinical placement theory and every time we were talking about a new ingredient I was jotting down notes for cocktails and it was just it got to a point where <laughs> people started to think that there was something wrong with me and you know especially when it comes to Amaro and all of the vermouth and you know things that were traditionally like Hippocratic wine and tonics and things like that I'm so fascinated because alcohol has been part of health for like thousands of years actually even in China like they were drinking 
forms of aromatized wine for for health and we've just kind of started to come full circle where people are thinking okay well maybe this can be part of a healthy balanced enjoyable life obviously I think it's really important to drink in moderation I think that it's really incredibly important to drink better rather than more but I think that the whole point of health really needs to include the pleasure in eating and drinking and social aspect one of the best things about the Mediterranean diet is its emphasis on shared food eating together enjoying a glass of wine everything in moderation you know but it's the shared meal it's the sitting down the community aspect of it there's a huge huge backlash to alcohol in health because it's kind of come from that negative drinking culture where people just get smashed and it's not about enjoying what you're drinking it's the effect and that's where it starts to go down a different path so for me having a background in health and having been in hospitality basically the entire time I was studying health it's really easy for me to see how we can put incredibly healthy and nourishing food beautiful wines whether they're from the natural style or your more classic styles or even just the abundance of incredible ingredients that we have in Australia that are seasonal and native and sustainable and putting them into drinks rather than loading them up with sugar and imported products and things like that. Everything needs to be pleasurable or you're not going to do it, basically. If someone said to me, you have to eat chicken and broccoli every day for the rest of your life to have health and you can't have a drop of alcohol or any coffee, I would just say, I won't worry about it, thanks. (laughs) It's kind of... Beside the point. <laughs> can you tell us about when you f- first started? Can you tell us about when you first started in the hospitality sector? What what drew you to it? Do you remember that time? I've had a very weird career history, to be honest. I first started in hospitality as a birthday party host at a laser tag entertainment center in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Which, when I was there, I didn't think it was very cool, but looking back on it, I'm like, well, it beats working at the supermarket. Um, I think coffee really got me interested in hospitality. I was working at a commercial coffee outlet and really enjoyed being on my feet. Oh my gosh, I don't know what I was thinking, but I loved talking to people, doing something with my hands, hosting, having conversations, remembering regulars, having that interaction and I just got the bug for it really, really early. I think I was probably 16 or 17 at the time and ended up staying in commercial coffee for a few years. And strangely enough, one of these big commercial coffee outlets has a really detailed training program where they go into the terroir of coffee and different, yeah, and different like food matchings with coffee. And a lot of it's like sales-based around education and upselling and things like that but the actual content of different coffees tasting different because they're from different parts of the world and why blew my mind and I was by that stage 18 19 and I had friends who were a few years older um, and they were quite successful and enjoyed special occasions like we might drive up to the Yarra Valley and go to Mount Rail and you know celebrate with food and wine and people were drinking not to get drunk but because it was pleasurable and it was something that my peers 
of my own age weren't really doing. So to me, it was a, wow, wine is something to be really um, treasured and food and wine together is something that is, you know, an experience and it's honoured. And so then I started to just kind of explore that for myself. But over the years, I've done everything from events to catering to coffee to running my own business and you know I've worked for some really huge companies doing events and always ended up doing something like nightclub promotions or you know wine tasting at the food and wine show or whatever side hustle was going at the time just because I wanted to keep my toes in in the water so you know when I decided a couple of years ago to well, almost three years now to jump back in full time it was a no-brainer it was going to be wine well, your broad experience has led you to become a mentor with uh, women in hospitality. Can you tell us about, about that and your role? Yeah, I'm on the Queensland Committee for Women in Hospitality. I am also a national mentor and we're currently in the second round of the mentoring program. So I have a great relationship with the head of the committee here and she invited me to be a part of the round table when we were thinking about launching the committee for Queensland they've done such incredible work down in New South Wales that we really wanted to bring the organization up here and immediately it was a huge yes for me whatever you want whatever you'd like however I can be involved yes 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 so when they asked if I would be involved in mentoring I actually thought that they meant for me to be mentored by someone else and they matched me with an incredible young woman who at the time was working in the UK and had but was from Canberra and was planning to apply for wine programs and was working on non-alcoholic promotional books and um, there was leadership programs in Denmark and things that she was going to be doing and then everything shut down from COVID and she had to fly home and give it all up and it was actually incredible to be not necessarily a mentor in that space anymore, but have a camaraderie of shared experience where we had both just had the rug pulled out from under us and support each other and things like that. And then in the second round, I've been really fortunate to have been matched with a young woman in Melbourne who's incredibly switched on and driven and focused on her education. So for me, I feel that I'm getting so much out of being involved in the program because not only are we working on lifting up and supporting women in the industry up here, but I'm able to help foster that in someone who's in Melbourne who's obviously had a very difficult time over the last few months. And to see young women who are in the drinks industry uh, coming up so quickly and so enthusiastically, it's just absolutely incredible because I've never had a mentor in this space, uh, especially not a female one. A lot of my mentors in the space have been male and they've all been incredibly supportive and encouraging and I'm super grateful for them. Sometimes it's just nice to have a lady on your side. During the series, lots of people have talked about the change that's happened because of COVID and allowed them to refocus and you briefly touched on the fact that you got a chance to sort of refresh and rethink about things. What's different for you during this time? Have you changed? Absolutely. I feel like I've changed my entire outlook. A lot of my time spent reflecting was more about how I feel 
working in the industry still after so long and I'm in my mid-30s now and I realise that I'm not recovering as quickly as some of these young kids fresh out of school and I get that, I get it. Like I'm still young in terms of the grand scheme of things but I do require a bit more like alone time to recover from being in service and a lot more physio and, you know, definitely less knockoffs because I'm not recovering from that very well. And I think for me, it's been, what can I contribute to the industry? What can I give back? How do I want to change the industry? Like what's going to be my legacy when I eventually move on to something else or whatever, whatever is in my future. And so for me, it was, I decided to double down on my commitment to the industry, which is to change the health of the hospitality industry for the better. And it's no small feat, I get that, but I figure if I've been in the industry this long, I have this incredibly broad network who are all incredibly talented and passionate people who I want to see stay in the industry, then I'm qualified, I'm experienced, I've got a few skills that I can contribute and so many people who are willing to jump on board and give me a hand that it's now more important than ever for us to make sure that the health and well-being, both mental and physical, of our peers and colleagues and teams is front of mind because it's no longer acceptable for us to take the mantra of I'll sleep when I'm dead or leave your stuff at home or, you know, anything like that because everyone's mental health has taken a huge hit this year, more so than ever. And it was already a real pandemic in our own industry to suffer from mental health issues because of the amount of hours we're working, the pressure, the poor sleep, poor nutrition, drug and alcohol use, all things like that. But now it's just been brought to the forefront because we've had to deal with this crazy situation this year altogether. What are some of the things that you think could be implemented to sort of tackle these issues that are uh, so prevalent in the industry? I think that one of the biggest things that has made an impact this year is people looking at labour laws because it's starting to get really difficult for people to work well above their salaried hours, which I think is going to be really difficult for some businesses to adapt to, but is ultimately going to mean we're not going to see the chefs in the kitchen for 80 hours a week. I think having mental health support programs like the employee assistance programs that a lot of large hospitality groups have rolled out to support small businesses would be a hugely beneficial change. I think that being able to talk to people in your venue, whether it's a manager or a peer or someone who's like a designated mental health first aid person is going to be something that a lot more businesses are looking at moving forward. I know that the white jacket effect is doing some incredible training programs for mental health in that space. And there's also mental health first aid courses that people can go on. And they're just so valuable because when you start to see the cracks form, whether it's in a customer or in a colleague, a lot of people don't really know how to respond to that. And a lot of the things we're seeing and, you know, I mean, we've been doing it for years and I've definitely done it. So I'm not pointing any fingers, but it's, when that idea of 
you know, when something happens, it's I need a drink or oh, I'm sorry, you've had a bad day. Do you want a shot or something like that? Like changing that coping mechanism is going to create huge waves of change because we're all a little bit guilty of escapism from time to time. But when things are getting this dire, we just can't really afford to do that anymore. Australia's in the rare situation globally that it may be COVID free within the next couple of weeks, depending on how things play out and all of the borders may open across the country. Um, How are you feeling sort of as we move forward into this sort of post COVID sort of existence and um, what are you most looking forward to? Um, I, I, Oh gosh, what am I most looking forward to? I'm from Melbourne and I haven't seen my parents since January and when I was a kid, that would have been the dream, but I cannot wait to see them. <laughs> um, I I absolutely adore the bar scene in Melbourne. It's just so vibrant and innovative and incredible. And if I could just get kicked out of Black Pearl at 3.15 in the morning one more time, I would give anything. Amazing. But uh, <laughs> I... I have got a list of places that I want to go and eat in in Sydney, in in Adelaide. I am dying to go and see the folks down in Adelaide for sure. It's been way too long. And Melbourne, of course. And I feel like I want to do a national tour uh, and go see my family in Perth and everything as well. Um, My partner's from Newcastle and, you know, we would love to go down there. And it's just this... I don't think that we're going to be able to go overseas anytime soon. So I just feel like the most I can get to of Australia in the next little bit to satisfy my travel bug, the better. You have one of the most unique skill sets uh, in the industry and you've had, um, you know, quite, quite a bit of change, especially the way that you perceive your role in the industry during this time. How will you look back at this year? I think I'm going to look back at this year with a lot of gratitude because Ultimately, while there was a little bit of survivor's guilt around essentially being made redundant and allowing me to study full-time for two months and then going straight back into a full-time job, what this year has given me is a lot of perspective and a lot of opportunity to tie up loose ends of projects that I maybe otherwise might not have had the space or energy to complete or dedicate the same level of mastery to. I think it's really given me reassurance that I'm in the right place, that I'm doing what I want to be doing in the world. I don't think I could ever go back to working in corporate again. I am very driven to making positive change in the industry. And even when the going's getting pretty tough, I can't imagine anywhere else I'd rather be. Well, Kerry, you're a bloody inspiration and we're honoured to have you on Deep in the Weeds. Um, please keep in touch and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much for having me. I'm incredibly honoured that you invited me on and I love the podcast. (laughs) This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.